0: So um, we want to know God, don't we? We want to know him. And so we've been looking at at God, different parts of his character, attributes, who he is, so that we get to know him. So that we get to know him and walk with him. So we've been looking at the fact that uh, God is our shepherd, he's our provider, he's our banner, he's the one who makes us holy, the one who sanctifies us. Today we're going to be looking at this, the Lord is peace that God is peace. So Jehovah Shalom, Yahweh Shalom, God is peace. In Hebrew, where the word Shalom comes from, uh, the word peace, it, it speaks of meeting the deepest needs, the deepest needs of the human life that are only met in God. The deepest Needs of a human life that are only met in God. Shalom. So it speaks of, it's quite a complex word because it means so much. Shalom, we say peace, but it speaks about wholeness, about completeness. Imagine you've got a, a jigsaw puzzle and we throw it across the floor and it's scattered everywhere, and then someone comes along and brings shalom. It's going to be all together and look right, all together, all complete. There it is in front of you, well. Speaks about unity, harmony, welfare. So when when David went to inquire of his brothers about how they were doing when his dad sent him out, um, he, he's like, how's your shalom? How are you? Are you at peace? Are you doing well? Are you full? Are you safe? Are you in health? Is there fulfilment in your life? A definition of shalom that I come across is this, destroy, destroy the authority attached to chaos. Destroy the authority attached to chaos. And so the word shalom is, is used by many as a greeting, shalom, like hello, and also shalom, goodbye, shalom. But what well the heart of it is to say, may you be at peace, may your life be whole, complete, may your brokenness be put back together, may you be in unity and harmony, may it be well with you. May you be full and self, full of safety and healthy. Now imagine that, walking around shaloming people, right? Not just a silly word, but a heart behind it that blesses people that their brokenness will be mended. Does anyone know any broken people? Is anyone broken? Does anyone need shalom? There is good news. Because God is shalom. Uh, in, in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 10, he's, he's having a revelation. He's seeing this man and um, he's been in a period of, of mourning and fasting, stuff like that. But then this vision of this man speaks to him says, Do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed. Peace. Be strong now. And when he spoke to me, I was strengthened, says Daniel. And I said, speak, Lord, since you've, been, you've given me strength. So when we meet someone who is a carrier of shalom, an impartation of shalom, one who blesses us and means it, all heaven is breaking loose. God is at work. You see, peace is not just the absence of trouble or difficulties or conflict or war. You know, you can be in the middle of the most chaotic mental time and you are shalom. You're at peace. You are well. It is well with me. But equally, you could be a million miles away from any conflict and trouble and be all over the place. You know what I'm saying? The inside you're just scattered. Because true peace has to do with God. It has to do with God's presence. It has to be to do with God's word that we believe and accept and an ongoing relationship with the Lord our God, the Lord who is peace. It's not wishful thinking, it's not even hoping, it's being with Him. Being in his presence, knowing him, the Lord who is our peace. Yahweh, shalom. If you want to live a life of shalom, you've got to meet with him who is shalom. Otherwise, we are settling for something. Anyway, I want to give you a bit of context to the revelation of this name of God, shalom. The Lord is peace. And so... Um, we're going to look at the book of Judges. I'm going to read out quite a bit, actually, I think. Need to to me, oh, um, you all right for this morning? I said, well, I probably could speak for an hour. I'm not sure you're ready for that. So I've got to divide it up. So the book of Judges, the title Judges describes the leaders that Israel, the people of God, were given by God after. So they had Moses and then uh, Joshua led them into the promised land. And then it was Joshua and there were elders. And then when that generation God was calling up judges. But they're not judges who sit with a wig and a gavel in that sense. It's more like they're leaders that God has risen up. And so it was before they had the king. So let me uh, read to you. So I'm going to read Judges chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 6. Um, to the end of the chapter. And I, and I thought, I could tell you, but it's, you know, sometimes it's good just to sit and sit under the reading, the public reading of God's Word. So listen carefully. Listen with your, the eyes and ears of your heart. Listen with a submitted imagination to the scriptures that I'm going to be reading today. So, yeah, thank you, Lord, for your Word. And as I read it, help us. So, After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him there, in the land of his inheritance, at Timnath-Heres, in the hill country of Eph, Oh, I should have just... Anyway, verse 10. After the whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up. Listen, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he'd done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baal's other gods. They forsook... The Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt, they followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them, the the very thing that God had warned them not to do. You know, they provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him and they served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them, he sold them to their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. When Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to the judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. Unlike their fathers, they quickly turned From the way in which their fathers had walked, the way of obedience to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers' following other gods and serving and worship them. They refused to give up their evil practices and their stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, because this nation has violated the covenant that I laid down for their forefathers and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them, these nations, to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their forefathers did. The Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. They were no longer able to resist their enemy. Their enemy were the other nations. Their enemies came against them and opposed them. They were surrounded them. God had prepared them. God had warned them. God taught them how to live and to pass it down. So they knew how to resist the enemy. They knew how to follow God's ways. But they were living in rebellion to God's ways and worshipping other gods. They were God's people... They were in the right place, the promised land, but they were being the wrong people in the right place because they were not submitted or surrendered to the God of their salvation from Egypt. He'd rescued them from slavery, was bringing them into a land flowing with milk and honey. They couldn't enjoy the goodness of God because of their rebellion And they were oppressed. They were enslaved by that which they should have mastered. You know, we, me, you, we can be in the place that God wants us to be. But we can live in defeat and have no victory because of our rebellious ways. Because of our sinful ways. We might not want to say they're sinful. We might not want to say they're rebellious. We might agree with the world's thinking and the way the world does and superimpose that on our following of Jesus and think, well, I'm all right. But we need to agree with God and not the world's. Worldly fallen world thinking. God's got a better word and a better way. So it could be that we are living in a better place, but actually it's no good for us because we're in trouble. At the beginning of Genesis, God says um, sin is crouching at the door of your life and it wants to have you, but you must master it. The Bible says that there is no peace, no shalom for the wicked. But those that keep their eyes fixed on God... Those whose minds are steadfast, those whose thoughts are fixed on God, he will keep in perfect peace, true peace. As we look to him, we will know that wholeness, that completeness, that unity, that harmony. We will live in it and walk in it more and more. We will be well. It will be well with my soul, even though all hell is breaking loose outside. So the story of the Judges, or the book of Judges, is a story of a sin cycle. It's a bit like a bicycle, except rather than peddling, it goes like this. You say, you turn away from God, you're in rebellion to Yahweh and his ways. Living as if God doesn't exist anymore, getting about your own thing. Then the enemy comes into your life, and you've stopped feeling oppressed and down and got at and everything. And so you cry out to God for help. And what does God do? He does because He's full of compassion, He comes and rescues rescues us. Now in this, in the book of Judges, He raises up a leader and a judge. And when that judge is alive, everything's okay until they die and then they fall away again. They rebel, then they're oppressed, then they cry out, then they're saved and then they rebel and then they're oppressed and then they cry out and then they're saved and then they rebel and then they're oppressed and then they cry out and then they're saved. I wonder if anyone recognises that pattern in their own individual life. God wants it to be different for us, a better way for us. Let's look at chapter 6 of Judges. So we're going to look at the story. So it's in this context that we meet up with this lad called Gideon. Okay, so Judges chapter 6 verse 1. Again, again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years God gave them into the hands of of the Midianites, the enemy. Because the power... So imagine what's going on here. Because of the power of the Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves. They basically ran away. They lived in mountain clefts. They lived in claves. They lived in strongholds. The enemy was too great. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites... Amalkalites and other eastern people invade the country. They camp on the land. They ruin the crops all the way to Gaza and they did not spare a living thing for Israel. Neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so the Israelites they cried out to the Lord for help let me help you if you imagine have you ever seen Bug's life yeah so so But they work hard. To they, the the ants. They're producing the crop. They want their crop. But what happens? An enemy comes and robs them of all their hard work. So they, they wanting to live. They are wanting to raise their family. They wanted to look after each other. They wanted to eat well. They wanted to live in safety. But the enemy keeps coming and destroying and stealing. Imagine that. Imagine working for a whole year. And then it all gets taken away from you. It all gets damaged. This is where they're living. This is, this is the situation of their lives due to their rebellious ways and disobedience to God. So, rebellion, oppression. Verse 7, crying out. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian their enemy, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. Bad news. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophra. That belonged to Joash, the Abazarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press. You don't thresh wheat in wine presses. He's hiding away. He's trying to. Like it's not a good place to thresh wheat. You need, you need air, don't you? And it needs to separate. I don't know how he was doing it in the winepress, but that's where he was, to keep it from the enemy. So he's hiding away, trying to do his best, keeping it from the enemy. And an angel of the Lord appears to him and says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But, sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him. Okay, so we've got an angel and the Lord. So there's, there's a lot of um, talk about who, what is going on here? Is it an angel? Is it God? And so, some people believe it's a, um, like a, a manifestation. I can't remember the a, theo, a theophany. Thank you very much. That it's the it's, it's, it's God is there. Could be Jesus. Could be God. But anyway, so the Lord says to him. So he's, so he's, imagine what's going on. He's hiding away. Angel comes and meets him. What are you? What are you? You're a mighty warrior. And then he says, Go in the strength you have. And save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Uh, But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites together. I will be with you. You will do this together. Sounds good, doesn't it? Gideon replied, "If I've now found favour in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Like, oh, come on, is is this God? Isn't it? I don't know. I mean, I think God's saying this to me, but I've got to be sure. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you." And the Lord said, "I will wait until you return." Gideon went. He prepared a young goat and flour and bread. And he got some meat and he put it in a basket and he made a broth and he brought it to them and offered it to them under the oak. Offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on the rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. With the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. It all disappeared. When Gideon realised it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The fear of the Lord came upon him. The awe of the Lord came upon him. I'm going to die. But the Lord said to him, Peace. Shalom. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it the Lord is peace. Jehovah Shalom. Yahweh Shalom. God is peace. God is peace. So God says peace. What does Gideon do? he builds an altar. And an altar in the Bible is a few different things, but it's a place of sacrifice, a place where guilty people can come and bring their sacrifice that would re-establish their relationship, a harmonious relationship, a peaceful relationship with the Lord God. So the altar was a symbol of God's judgment and forgiveness. An altar was also a place of a, a memorial, a place of remembrance, remembering some special time and experience with the Lord God. So the book of Genesis tells us that Noah built an altar, and Abraham built an altar, and Isaac built an altar, and, and Jacob built an altar. They, they were remembering this is who God is. This is what God has done. So it's a form of worship. So Gideon was declaring and wanting to remember and to honour and worship the God that he encountered and experienced. He experienced him as Jehovah Shalom. Yahweh is peace. In the midst of all of it, he met with the God of peace. So First, verse 14, God says, Go in the strength you have. Go in the strength you have, Gideon. So, what is Gideon's strength? Firstly, Gideon's strength came from the fact that he knew who God said he was. Right? Mighty warrior, mighty man. That's who you are. Right? He knew what God was calling him. He knew that God was with him. He knew he was in the presence of God. He verified the presence of God. He was going, are, are you sure? Is this sure? Is this God? And then when he realised that this is God, don't worry about it, this is God, wow. And then God said, I, am I not sending you? I'm sending you and I am calling you. So when you know what God says about you, when you know the call of God on your life, when you know that he's sending you, that is a place of strength. Everything told Gideon the a complete opposite story. His family, his history, the situation of his nation, the fact that he felt abandoned by God, and the, where was God in all of this? But God's word said something different. So God's word says, this is who you are, mighty warrior, mighty man. I am calling you, I am sending you, I've got a job for you to do. And so Gideon, because he's met the God of peace, we'll come on to that. He's going to walk in that. We haven't got time. We haven't got any time. We haven't got time to go into that. I, I do want to say that though. So what about you? What about you? Who does God say you are? What words have God spoken over you? What are you believing and what are you ignoring? Where are you believing the history, the family, the wider, bigger story of the situation that seems to say the complete opposite to what God says? Oh, well, I can't do that because or I can't do that. Well, what is God saying? Has he said it? Has he named you? Has he called you? Is he sending you? We need to honour what God says. We need to honour the call of God on our lives. We need to know that he's sending us. Mary. What if someone does, a, some, does something evil they, get their own back on you. Can I Can I answer that later? Can we have a chat later about that one? Thank you. Yeah. Otherwise, I'll lose my flow and I'm running out of time anyway. So, otherwise, I'd love to. I could be here all day. But, yeah. So... So he's got Gideon's got strength. Have you got strength? Do you know what God's saying to you? Do you know God's calling you? Do you know what God's sending you to do? Gideon had peace. How did Gideon get peace? How did a man going in a wine press, doing wheat, living in a hiding place, become a man of peace? He got peace because he received God's word. He believed God. He believed his word. Word. He got peace because he was with God. Gideon made the altar. He worshipped the God of peace because he'd received the revelation. He worshipped him before any of his problems were solved. Before anything changed, he took God at his word and he spoke about it. Gideon's peace... From, from God changed his life he lived, he lived in peace by obeying God because he lived in peace with God he was blessed but not only was he blessed the nation was blessed with peace at the end of Judges uh, it, it says that during Gideon's lifetime the land enjoyed peace for 40 years 40 years so they've had at uh, one hell of a time, but then when God raises up Gideon to bring Shalom, they experienced the peace of God. But guess what happened after the 40 years? Rebellion, oppression, crying out, raising up a leader. It didn't stop, but <laughs> you know, agreement with God's word brings peace, brings Shalom. Being in God's presence brings shalom. Having an ongoing relationship with God brings shalom. We do not get true peace and shalom through distraction. Gideon didn't get peace through being distracted. God gives peace. The world gives distraction. You know, We when we're in pain, when we're in turmoil, when we're hurting inside, when we can't be on our own, when we can't have been silenced, what do we do? We distract ourselves. I just want a bit of peace. I want to be a bit, bit of quiet. They're not real, they're not they're not they're not true, it's not shalom, it's it's fake peace, it don't work, it doesn't last. But we're so worldly, sorry for casting any judgment, we're so worldly that we go somewhere else to get a short fix. And it ain't as good as going to Yahweh who is peace, the God of peace. God gives peace. You cannot block out the pain and torment by going somewhere else, whether it's drink drink or drugs, or your mobile phone, or whatever it is, that peace, that escape, it don't last, it don't work. It just brings more chaos, more destruction, more angst, more drama. Why do we settle for something far less than God's true peace? When it does us no good. You know, Romans says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking or going on your mobile phone or watching telly or knitting or whatever it is you do to get peace. I'm not knocking hobbies, but why are we doing them? If we're looking for something that God wants to give us in them, we're losing out when we should go to God and get what he wants to give us. Peace is awesome. Shalom is awesome. Why would we want to live without it? Worldly thinking brings chaos and disorder. You know, when people are in charge of their own lives and live as they see fit, there is chaos and disorder. And the last book of the last verse in the book of Judges says this: In those days. Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. That is so sad. And let us not be those who live as we see fit because we've got a king. We've got King Jesus. And so Shalom wants to destroy the authority attached to chaos. Let me use an illustration um, Helen and I went, and I'm going I'm to say something and I'm going to feel for someone else. Helen and I went to the Royal Albert Hall and we went to see a Lord of the Rings film. I can't remember which one it was. But there's a live band and then you... Uh, uh, sorry, there's an orchestra. There's an orchestra. And um, so they show the film, but the orchestra play along to the film, Right? I did also go there with James, and we saw uh, The Empire Strikes Back. I remember that film. But anyway, at the beginning of both times, what happens? You're sitting there, you're waiting, and (inaudible) And there's all this disorder and all this chaos, and you're thinking, I've paid a lot of money to see this. I hope they improve. And then the conductor walks in, taps his stick, baton, the orchestra with a conductor and a baton. And then, lo and behold, there is shalom. Because all the chaos and disorder of what they said was tuning up becomes something beautiful, full of harmony and melody. So we can either live our lives as our own ruler and king, or we can submit to King Jesus the Prince of Peace and allow him to conduct our lives. And as a community, when we all come together under the order of the Heavenly Conductor, we will make sweet music and be a blessing to others as we live in God's harmony because we're not rebellious but we are submitted to him and following him. I'm going to end there. So, I'm going to pray. Lord God, thank you that you are the God of peace. That you are Yahweh Shalom. And Lord, we want to live in your peace. And so, Lord, we pray that you would lead us out of our rebellious ways and help us to submit and surrender to you. Lord, fill us with with joy and peace as we trust in you. Come, Lord God, even now. Help us, Lord God, in your name to confront the drama and the chaos in our lives through shalom. We pray that you would destroy the authority attached to any. Any type of chaos. Shalom. Shalom, come. Peace of God, come. Peace of God, come. Peace of God, come. Shalom. Meet us in our brokenness. Meet us in our need of healing. In our scatteredness. Lord put us back together we pray in your harmony, unity that it will be well with us that it will be well with our souls come Holy Spirit we pray and minister the peace of God to us we pray thank you Holy Spirit that you are at work thank you God that you are with us Lord, remind us of the words that you've spoken over us, the names that you have called us, the call that you have put upon us, the strength that you have given to us. Help us to protect it and guard it so that the evil one doesn't rob us, doesn't steal it away. May we be those like Gideon meeting you the God of peace and having our lives so utterly transformed that we bring shalom to others because that is who you are and we want to follow you and be like you. Bless your name. Amen.